Now, I should, uh, somebody said the first Sunday I did this, I should challenge the adults <laughs> to memorize the books of the Bible and some scripture verses and things like that, which that would not be a bad idea, would it, kids? Yeah, game on, there we go. <laughs> I want to point your attention to the back of your worship bulletin today. If you're a note taker, we have the outline for you. If you have not been with us in the last uh, few weeks, we've started a study through the book of Romans entitled, The Gospel Changes Everything. If you would like to catch up and you've missed it, uh, the, the, the messages are on our website and our church app. I want to give a shout out to Bobby uh, for really keeping those things up to speed for us and uh, getting those things up to date. And uh, so if you want to catch up on that, you can do so through our website or our church app. And um, we are looking at the gospel, how it changes everything in our lives. And here's the, the thesis. The theme is the gospel changes everything. The thesis is the gospel is not just facts to be believed. It's a life to be lived. Yeah, there are facts to the gospel. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus was buried. And three days later, rose again on the third day. Those are the facts of the gospel. Those facts, even the devils believe and tremble. So it's more than just believing facts. It's a life to be lived. It's, it's, it's obeying the gospel. It's surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. Something that the devil and his followers will never do. So... We're looking at that from that, this uh, book, from that perspective. And uh, just to kind of catch you up to speed, we've talked about the power of the gospel. It is seen through the gospel's truth. The power of the gospel is seen through the gospel's testimony. Remember, we looked at the testimony of the life of Paul, how the gospel just radically changed his life from a persecutor of believers to now a follower of Christ and devoted to the believers. And then we looked at how the, the gospel changed the lives of those Roman people. They heard the gospel over in Jerusalem and Pentecost, came back to Rome and began churches, and the gospel began to spread throughout the region, and how the gospel changes our lives today. So today we're turning a, a kind of another page, so we're not looking now just at the power of the gospel, we're looking at the revelation of the gospel. What does the gospel reveal to us? And remember the gospel, I told you the facts. Jesus died for our sins, he was buried, and on the third day rose again. That's the facts, that's the message of the gospel. What does that gospel, that good news, reveal for us? And that's what we pick up here in verse 18 of Romans chapter 1. The gospel reveals God's righteousness. So, we pick up in verse 16, he says, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So the gospel reveals God's righteousness. How do we see God's righteousness? Well, we see it in the law. We see God's righteousness in the Old Testament law. And I want to encourage you, don't miss the Old Testament. Don't miss the truth there. Don't miss how the, all the things that you're familiar with in the New Testament are foretold and uh, foreshadowed 
in the Old Testament, and it's very important, even the law. Remember what Jesus said in Luke 24. He said everything, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, Luke 24, he says, concern me. He said they're all written about me. So when you're reading the Old Testament, look for Christ. Look for Christ. He's there. The preexistent Christ is found all throughout the Old Testament. So the, the righteousness of God is revealed in the law of Moses. Even the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other God before me. Thou shalt not make any graven image. Thou shalt remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Thou shalt honor your father and your mother. On and on. Those Ten Commandments reveal the righteousness, the right way, if you will. But see what happened is... The law was given to man, okay? He gave it to Moses. Moses gave it to the Israelites, to the Jewish people. But they soon realized how impossible it was to live up to the law. Didn't take them long to realize that. In fact, even before the law was given to Moses, God established his righteousness in the Garden of Eden. When he created all those beautiful things and he put them in the garden and he gave Adam and Eve all these things, he said, I've given all these things to you, everything for you to fully enjoy, except you cannot eat of the tree that I put in the middle of the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So he gave a law even there. And even then, man began to realize how hard it was to keep the law because here comes the devil tempting and drawing Eve and Adam, and, and, and us too, drawing us away from God, from what we know is right. We realized how impossible it was to keep the law. In fact, the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 and 12, you can see it on the screen. He says, for as many as are of the works of the law, that is, as many as choose to live by the law, if you think that's how you get to be approved unto God, look what he says, you're under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. In other words, if you can't keep it perfectly, you are one pathetic person. Now, how many pathetic people do we have here today? Would you please raise your hand? You're all a bunch of pathetic sinners. Notice my hand is up too. I haven't continued perfectly in the law. He says in verse 11, But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident... It's evident. You can see it everywhere. He says here, what we just read in verse 17, for the just shall live by faith. You know that, we'll talk about that more in just a moment. But verse 12 says, the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. That is, if you're going to say that you're saved by keeping the law, then you better not mess up. Not once. Not once. If you think you're saved by rituals, rules, religion, law, you better not mess up one time. Not once. Because perfection is what is required. Perfection. James 2.10 If I keep the whole law, but I mess up in one point, I'm guilty of the whole law. So, the righteousness of God is revealed in his law. It's a perfect, righteous law. And it must be kept perfectly. How many people have done that before? How many people that have ever walked the face of the earth did that? One. 
Who is that? Jesus. That's why the righteousness of God is seen in his grace. You see, the Bible says in John 1, 17, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The question is, how can a holy, righteous God who demands perfection ever forgive those who violate his law and still be righteous? After all, his law dictates that he who sins shall surely die. Now, that's more than just physical death. That's eternal separation. So how can it be that a righteous God could ever forgive a violator of his law when even his law says if you violate it, you're going to die and be separated from him? The answer is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the grace of God. God does not have to set aside his righteousness in order to forgive sinners. In fact, his righteousness is revealed in the, his grace as he sent his son to suffer the full penalty of our sin on himself. The righteousness of God was satisfied in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So one man who never sinned bore the sins of all violators of God's law at one time. And, God's, and it was God's grace. So his righteousness is revealed in the gospel as we see it in his law that we cannot keep, and his grace because Jesus Christ kept it for us. The Bible says in Romans 8, 4, the righteous requirements of the law were fulfilled in him. Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law, knowing I never could. Therefore, we have a response to make. If God's law is righteous and perfect and, and he demands perfection, and I am woe because I cannot keep it. But yet in his grace he sent Jesus Christ who kept the law fully and, and, and his death, burial, and resurrection satisfied the, the fulfillment of the law for me. What, what response am I going to make? See, those are the facts of the gospel. It demands a response from you, from each of us, a response of faith. So the righteousness of God is seen in his law, is seen in his grace, but it's also seen in our faith. He says here in verse 17, for the righteousness of God is revealed, the gospel reveals the righteousness of God from faith to faith. Literally, that is, out of faith unto, faith unto faith. That is, salvation, forgiveness of sin, is received by faith to those who have faith. It cannot be received by works. You can't receive the gospel by works. You can't receive the gospel by rules and religion and rituals. That's not how you receive the gospel. It's not how you're saved. It cannot be received by trying to live up to a code of ethics. It has to be received by faith. That's why I said in verse, the end of verse 17, the just shall live by faith. This was prophesied. This way of living, this gospel was prophesied way back in the Garden of Eden, all the way through the Old Testament. We come to the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4, and God speaks to the prophet Habakkuk, and he says, the just shall live by faith. That phrase is only repeated three more times in the New Testament, or three times in the New Testament. One's right here, Romans 1, 17. One I just read for you in Galatians 3, and one is in the book of James. 
the just, it's been said, one commentator said that Romans deals with the just. That is, God making us just. The book of Galatians said, uh, talks about how to live as a just one of God. And the book of James talks about how to live a life of faith as a just one made right with God. The just shall live by works. The just shall live by faith. Faith. The fact that we're made right with God, that is, just with God, only through faith, further reveals God's righteousness. Turn the page in your Bible to, uh, to Romans chapter 3. You may not have to turn the page, but, but I did. <laughs> Look at verse 21. This scripture will also be on the screen. But he says, but now... Romans 3.21, now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified, that is being made right with God freely, by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood. To, through faith, to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance, that is God's patience, God's long-suffering, God's endurance with sinners, because in His forbearance, God has pa had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. We are justified by faith. That word, there's a big word in verse 25. Here's a simple way to understand that big word, propitiation. That's not a word we use in our vocabulary today. And it just simply means this, God's wrath satisfied. Okay, in his righteousness, God said this law has to be kept perfectly. And whoever doesn't is going to die. He's angry with the wicked every day. God has wrath towards sin. That wrath has to be satisfied. There has to be a just payment for that violation of that law. But for all those who have faith in what Jesus Christ did, they, get to, they escape the wrath of God. How? Because God took all of his wrath and he poured it out on Christ at the cross. Jesus satisfied the wrath of God for you. Now, the person who rejects the wrath of God, we're going to talk about that next Sunday. I mean, the wrath rejects the, the, the satisfied wrath of God in the person of Jesus Christ, the person who rejects Jesus. What are they inviting on themselves? The wrath of God. And we're going to talk about that next week. And the question I want to address next week is, does God ever give up on someone? 
Can you sin away the day of grace? Can you go too far in rejecting God? You might want to tune in next week. But God's righteousness is revealed through the fact that we're saved by faith. Galatians 3, if you look on the screen or if you want to turn there, verse 21 says, Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. So what was the purpose of the law? Paul's asking here. He's answering that question. Verse 24, therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we no longer need a tutor. For you're all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Why did we need the law? You know what the law did for us? It showed us our sin. How would you know it was wrong to covet if God never said, Thou shalt not covet? How would you know that it's it's wrong to disobey your parents if, if God never said, Honor your father and your mother? With the entrance of the law came the exposure of our sin and the need for a Savior. So the gospel reveals the righteousness of God as seen in his law, as seen in his grace, and as seen in in our faith. And I'm going to go one step further. We're not going to complete this outline today, but I'm going to tell you where I'm going to stop just so you'll be comfortable. I'm going to stop... Let's see, I've given you three blanks. I'm going to fill in one, two, two more blanks. No, I take that back. One, two, three, four more blanks. The next four blanks, that's where I'm stopping. Lord willing. (laughs) That's my caveat. So the gospel reveals God's righteousness. So if God's righteousness is revealed, the law comes and the righteousness is revealed in the law. It's revealed in his grace in Jesus Christ and reveals, uh, revealed by our faith. But if you show us the law, you show us the righteousness of God, what else is going to be exposed? Our unrighteousness. The gospel reveals our unrighteousness. Look what he says in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The gospel is going to reveal our unrighteousness. When God's righteousness and holiness is revealed, our unrighteousness is magnified. Remember Isaiah in chapter 6 at his call experience where he was in the temple and he saw the glory of God manifested in the, in the seraphim, the cherubim, and, and he fell down on his face and he cried out with a loud voice, Woe is me! He heard the angels singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then he fell down on his face and he said, Woe is me. In other words, I I deserve to die. And he says, For I am unclean. He was in the presence of the almighty, perfect, holy God. And his 
unrighteousness was magnified to him. And he felt the weight of it. And he cried out for mercy. Woe is me, for I'm undone, I'm unclean, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. He saw his unrighteousness. And see, that's why, the peop- that's why people who are struggling to receive the message of the gospel in our culture because it tells them they need to be saved. Why do they need to be saved? Because they are what? Sinners. They don't want to be told that they're sinners. The gospel reveals our unrighteousness. You cannot be saved if you don't think you're a sinner. For what would you be being saved from? You're being saved from your sin and the penalty of sin, which is death eternal separation but see what happens in our unrighteousness he says here what we do the end of verse 18 who suppress the truth and unrighteousness in our unrighteousness man suppresses God's truth that word suppress means to hold down God's truth to keep it at bay do you see that in our culture today do you see our culture suppressing the truth of God what are some of the ways you see that happening Let's take the Ten Commandments off the walls of our government buildings, suppressing God's truth. Let's keep uh, Army and Navy and Marine and and Coast Guard and all of our, uh, who did I leave out? Air Force uh, chaplains. Let's keep them silent. Let's not let them talk uh, about Jesus Christ. Let's not let them pray. Let's let's not let the students or or the teachers talk anything about Jesus or God or the Bible. Oh, but we can invite the Muslims in. Let's come on in and let them have their courses and have their books in our libraries. But no, not Jesus, not God, not the Holy Scriptures. We are suppressing, our culture is constantly suppressing the truth of God. Are you seeing it? We're living in the days of Romans 1.18. Open our eyes. I think God is showing us. This is what's happening. We're suppressing God's truth. Why? Because this culture doesn't want to accept that they are unrighteous. Verse 19, they're suppressing his revealed truth. His revealed truth. Look at verse 19. It's an interesting phrase. He says, "For what, because what may be known of God. Let's, talk, let's stop right there. What may be known of God. I never thought about this until this week when I began to study that phrase. And here's what God showed me. Many things are not meant to be known. He said, for what maybe God? What does that suggest? That there are some things you can know and some things what? You can't know. In fact, God told Daniel in his vision, prophetic vision, and God told John in the book of Revelation, in his prophetic vision, that some of those things were not to be written down, they were not to be recorded. He said, seal them up. So there are some things we can't know about God and his plan. Would you agree with that? Well, that just ticks some people off. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 says, for we know in part We don't know in full yet, but unrighteous, prideful man cannot stand to think there are things he cannot know. Oh yeah, I can know everything. I can, science can prove everything. Science, we can know everything. We can get to that stage of ultimate knowledge. What are they saying? I can be like God. We're going to talk about that next week. 
And so if man, prideful man, says, I can't stand that there's something I, I cannot know, and therefore and, and they reject God, then they've gotta, they have no explanation for certain things. So they've got to make it up. How do you think we got to evolution? Because unrighteous man could not stand that he didn't know certain things. And because he rejected God, he had to fill in the gaps. So he invented. Well, the devil whispered in somebody's ear, Charles Darwin's, I'm sure. Evolution. And now what was in my generation taught as theory is now being taught as fact. But he says, what may be known. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff God won't let us know, but there's a lot of stuff God's already let us know. And look what he says. But what may be known of God is manifest. That word means known, apparent, evident. And where is it manifest? What does it say? Where is it manifested? In them. In who? All of us. God has manifested his presence. His power, His Godhead in all of us. How do I know that? Well, the Bible says so. The Bible says in Genesis 1.27, He created them in His image. Male and female, He created them. In the image of God, He created them. God created every man, woman, boy, and girl in the image of Himself. That is, He has stamped Himself on every human being ever conceived ever created. It's in them. Every human being has a God consciousness. They have to reject that God consciousness to get to the point we're talking about in Romans 1.18. Look at Romans 2.14. Romans 2.14, when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature, do the things in the law. In other words, there's some things you just know. You didn't have to have anybody tell you, don't do it. You knew that it was wrong to do it. How would you know it was wrong to do it? By nature, God put that in you. That's what he's saying here. He said, when they, who don't have the law, just by nature do the things in the law. Here's what he says. It says, although not having the law, they are law to themselves, who show the work of the law where? Where is it? Where is it? Who's he talking about? He's talking about pagans, Gentiles who had no law. Where is the law of God written? Now, wait a minute. There are people, I've heard good Christian people say that, what about those ancient tribes in Africa and South America and somewhere deep, deep in the remote jungles of, of Asia? How, how they get the gospel? Where is it written? What does the Bible say? <laughs> it's written where? In their hearts. It's in their hearts. Now look, we can argue logic all day long, but human logic cannot disagree with God's revealed word. There's no such thing as a creature created that didn't have the image of God and the law of God written in their hearts, a God consciousness. In fact, if you go to those remote tribes, deep, dark Africa, deep, dark South America, deep, dark jungles of Asia, you will find religion every time. They worship something. We'll see next week.
They worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. Instead of worshiping the creator, the son, they worship the son. But God said it's manifest in them. And then he says in verse um, 18, For God has shown it. The word shown means the same word as manifest. It means known, apparent, evident. And this time he doesn't say in them. He says what? Well, it's not up there, but look at your Bibles. To them. He showed it to them. How did he show it to them? Listen to Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day after day utters speech, and night after night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line, that is the creation of these heavens and earth, has gone out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. So God has made himself a witness in creation. And look what he says back in our text in Romans 1, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen. So he's revealed his attributes. Verse 20. And his attributes, that is his qualities, his divine nature, it says are clearly what? Seen. Are clearly seen. That is beheld fully. And then he says, being understood. They are clearly seen. They are understood. And then he says, how are, there, how are these divine attributes clearly seen and understood? He answers the question. What does it say? How? By the things that are what? What's he talking about? Creations. Creation is a witness to God's existence. But if you reject God, then you reject the evidence as coming from God. His revealed attributes are clearly seen, clearly understood by the things that are created. He even says in verse 20, even his eternal power and authority are Godhead. That is God's revealed power and authority has been made known. That eternal power, that is, that he's the eternal God. Eternal means you have no beginning, you have no end. God's preexistent. See, science wants to, can't comprehend, the human mind can't comprehend that something existed without a beginning. And that something will never have an end. They can't comprehend that. I don't want to comprehend it. If I could comprehend it, then my God would be on the same plane as me. I want a God bigger than me. And this is the Almighty God. He created finite creatures with finite understanding. But the pride of human nature cannot think that there's somebody more powerful who has more authority than they do. We're going to talk about that next week too. And he says they, his Godhead, his divinity is revealed. This, sum, this signifies the sum total of the divine attributes, the power, the eternal Godhead. And all this is revealed through the created universe. That's what he's saying here. All these things are revealed through what you see out that window.
step outside and look up and see the sun? Did y'all see that beautiful full moon last night? The oceans, how they have a border. They come crashing in on the shore. The seagulls flying over. All that's a witness to the eternal power of God and the existence. But man in his pride rejects that. But listen, they have a witness. And so what is, how does verse 20 end? So that what? They're without excuse. Y'all hear that? They're without excuse. There's no one who's ever, ever lived or who ever will live that can stand before God and say, I never knew. I didn't know. And God's going to show them all the evidences that he brought to them. All the evidences. All the things that they could clearly see, but that they rejected. And that will be a sad day. But what about you? You have more privilege than a person in a remote tribe somewhere. You're an American. You live in a very privileged culture, very privileged society. You've heard the gospel probably many times. You've seen all this beautiful creation. You've seen how God's provided for your needs and clothed you and fed you and given you jobs and so on and so forth. I wonder if there's anyone here today that still stiff-arming God. And God, I, you still got to prove something to me. You know, I'm a smart person. I still need proof. And God just shakes his head. What more can I do? I've shown you everything there is to know about me I even sent my only son what more do you want you see if you reject what God's already revealed you will suffer the full wrath of God in a place called hell hell is real it's not a myth that's why Jesus came to rescue you and me the violators of his righteousness but our faith and the righteous Lord Jesus, who endured the full wrath of God. If you'll place your faith and trust in Him this, this morning, you'll be righteous. You'll be made righteous. Let's bow our heads.